right. How's everybody doing out there? Amen. Wonderful. Hope y'all been singing this morning. Y'all been singing this morning? Okay. I've been singing. I sang so hard I can't hardly talk. Some of y'all going, praise God. All right. We will be in Luke chapter 6 again today. We will finish out love for enemies, and then we will pick up with judging uh, others next Sunday. So uh, if you have your Bible open there with me, please join me in the Word of God today as we allow the Scriptures to pierce our heart and edify us, encourage us, correct us, admonish us, whatever it, e- whatever it is that the Lord has ordained for you today. Sometimes I come here and I'm encouraged. Other times I'm convicted. All types of different things happen when the Word of God is preached. Amen? Amen. I didn't know if you know this or not, but who knows what, uh, what the Reformation was, the Protestant Reformation? Raise your hand if you know what that was, the Protestant Reformation. Okay, a few of you do. Well, I didn't know if you realize this or not, but since today is October the 31st, uh, today is Reformation Day. Uh, back in 1517, there was a guy named Martin Luther. Who remembers him? Martin Luther, that's right. Martin Luther, and he took, a, I guess, a hammer or some kind of mallet and, some, and, and a nail or several nails, and he hammered these 95 theses to the castle at Wittenberg, and it was basically his grievances against the, his, his own church, against the Roman Catholic Church. Uh, primarily, uh, the, his primary issue was over indulgences. Who remembers what an indulgence is? Okay, that was when you would pay the Roman Catholic Church to pray your loved one out of purgatory. Okay, now we know that's wrong now. There, there is no such thing. The Bible does not teach that. But, but Luther had a big problem with that. And so he did, not, he did not mean to cause what he caused. Can you believe that? He didn't mean for that to happen. He really was trying to reform the church from the inside out. But as we know, what happened is it splintered off in a bunch of different directions. And that is why we Baptists exist today. Can you amen that? That's why we're here. It's because of the Protestant Reformation. So... Hallelujah for the Protestant Reformation today, Reformation Day, October the 31st. Amen. Yeah. (laughs) Ryan wants to clap. All right. Uh, So that being said, wanted to be sure you knew that so you could be thankful for for him and what he did because he did do an incredible thing there. And then I wanted to ask you this question. How many of you have seen Rocky IV, the movie Rocky IV? You saw the Rocky movies, right? Do you remember what was the theme of Rocky IV? It was, it was uh, Rocky against who? The Russian, Dolph Lundgren, the Russian, right? The big seven-foot-tall Russian, and Sylvester Stallone was, what, 5'4", or something like that, so it was something like this. Well, I, I mention that to you because that's kind of how I felt when I tackled this, the, the, this, this text for you the past two Sundays. Uh, love for enemies does not come easy. Can you amen that? It's kind of like stepping in the ring with Dolph Lundgren, you know? It's kind of like stepping in the ring with this big, huge Russian with gloves on that you know has the potential to kill you because the power that he wields. And it's kind of like this text for me today and, and last week. But I brought you something today, and I hope that it glorifies God. That's why we're here is to glorify him and edify the church. So just a little brief context introduction here. Where are we? The city is Capernaum in the early months of Christ's ministry. Jesus has come down from the mountain where he prayed all night, chose his 12 disciples, apostles. He chose them, and now he's preaching what is known as the Sermon on the Plain, very similar to Matthew's Sermon on the Mount. 
As you hear the message, Christ contrasts the blessed being blessed and the woes and the, the blessed. Those that are blessed are identified with the true prophets of old and those under the woes are identified with the, the false prophets of old. And who do we want to be identified with? The false ones or the true ones? The true ones, exactly. And then we have to remember, I'd like to give you this little piece of information. We have to, as we approach Christ's teaching with the Sermon on the Mount and with the Sermon on the Plain, we have to approach it with an eschatological or an end times tension to understand that the reason why we are able to have the attitude that Jesus preaches for us to have in this message is because we know that in this time, in this place, this is not all there is to life. This time and this place will come to an end and Jesus will return. And then there will be another time with him in his presence where we have a totally different kind of body in a totally different kind of time. And the judgment of God will come and the judgment of God will come and everything will be set right. The, the wicked will be punished and, the, and the, the Christians will be rewarded and then, then will be the end times. And so we must approach this with that mindset or it'll drive us crazy like Dolph Ludgren getting in the ring with us, right? I mean, how do we, how do we, how do we fight this giant? Well, we fight the giant understanding in the knowledge of knowing that there is a different time that is coming, a different time where God will, 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 God will come and punish those that have afflicted us so we do not have to take vengeance into our own hands. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 6 through 10 says, this is evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering. Since indeed God considered it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might when he comes on that day. Do you believe that's gonna happen? I believe that with all my heart. I believe the scripture teaches that. I believe that. And the only way that you are going to be able to live your life in this crooked, strange, wicked place is to believe that and to know that one day things are going to be set right. It's the only way that you can really live out each day of your life with this radical worldview reversal is to know that one day judgment is coming. Christ tells us as we believe and we think about this, but what I say to you who hear, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you and from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do what? Do so to them. The text for today, verse 32. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? 
for even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. Verse 35, but love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return and your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. So again, we are seeing this worldview reversal in loving your enemies. Backing up to verse 27 to work toward verse 32 briefly. A loving response to an enemy's hatred. Think about that. When I read these passages, and no matter how many times that I I read these passages to prepare for you this morning or prepare, prepare for a Wednesday night Bible study, this passage stops me in my tracks because I have a natural tendency in my own heart to do what? To fight. To fight. If somebody hits me, what do I want to do? Hit them. If somebody steals from me, what do I want to do? Get it back, right? Not steal from them, amen? Get it back. If somebody calls me a name, what do I want to do? Call them a name back. There there is a, a natural sense of vengeance in our sinful hearts. But Jesus gives us a different way that is only possible, I believe, through the indwelling Holy Spirit. Only possible through the indwelling Holy Spirit. A loving response to an enemy's hatred. This passage has always confounded me and I'll read it to you this morning. Proverbs 25, 21, and 22. It's kind of a pivotal text that I've used to kind of get my mind wrapped around this, this trajectory. In the Proverbs, it said, if your enemy is hungry, what do you do to him? Give him bread to eat. If he is thirsty, give him what? Water to drink. For you will heap, what? Burning coals on his head, and the Lord will reward you. <laughs> Doesn't sound like love your enemies there, does it? <laughs> Put burning coals on their head. It's going to kill them, isn't it? Isn't that going to kill them? You ever thought about that? Y'all don't find that nearly as funny as I do. But anyway, um, I've always wondered what that means. Well, here's what I think it means. If you do good to those who hurt you, it's like putting burning coals on their head. Let me ask you this question. If I were to go down to Ryan and have a pot of burning coals and set them on his head, do you think he's going to notice that? Oh, yeah. Oh, he's going to notice it. It's going to burn the top of his head and singe his skin and burn his scalp. He's going to notice it. And I believe that's what that means. I believe it's that simple. Putting hot coals on someone's head. They are going to notice when they are your enemy and you love them instead of being vengeful toward them, you are going to get their attention and they are going to be confounded by it. And that's the whole purpose. Christians should have this this radical sense of worldview reversal because we know that we worship the one true God and we know that at some point in the future, God is going to come and exonerate us and punish the wicked. A loving response to an enemy's hatred. The Old Testament law placed all the emphasis on love 
over against vengeance. So Jesus is giving the heart of the Old Testament law. Leviticus 19.18 says, You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the children of your people. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. So not only love them, not only do good to them, but bless them and pray for them. There must not be a spirit of revenge. That is God's territory. So the answer to a deed of cruelty must be a deed of what? Kindness and self-sacrifice. Fulfill the law of God, and as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. Okay, the verses for today, 32 through 36. This is all about one word. The one word is reciprocation. Say that with me. Mm-hmm. Reciprocation. You know, there was, a, there was an acquaintance of mine years ago, <clears throat> back before I was a Christian. I always like to be sure that's very clear, okay? Before I was a Christian, we used to hang out a lot. And he used to tell me this time and time again uh, when we hung out. He would talk about relationships and friendships and things like that. And he would say, I'm all about having relationships with people, but there's one condition in which must exist for me to continue that relationship, and that is a reciprocating factor. They must, there must be a reciprocating factor, meaning that if actions or contributions he made in the relationship, they must be matched by the other or the relationship was one-sided and he would end it. Christ is giving us a completely different paradigm here in, in this verse. Christ shows us a much different and shocking picture, even when it comes to your relationships with your enemies, and that is sacrificial love doesn't require reciprocation. You get that? Sacrificial love doesn't require reciprocation. You give the sacrificial love and you accept what in return? Nothing. Zero. If you love those who love you, Jesus says, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. Now, this is a, a follow-up teaching to verse 27, which I've read several times already, but I'll read it again just because it's in the context. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. And then Jesus says, if you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? It's just shocking to hear that. It's just shocking. For even sinners love those who love them. So does Jesus actually mean... Does he actually mean that he intends for us to love our enemies and do good to them because it benefits us? How could loving our enemies in this way benefit us? How? Well, it depends on how you interpret benefit, and that is where the worldview reversal comes into play. Remember the term eschatology. That's why that's so important that we get that. The kingdom has already been initiated by Christ's coming, but has not yet fully arrived. So the benefit Christ is speaking about looks to the final judgment when Christ returns and establishes his kingdom. That is the perspective from which Christ is preaching. The world itself is doing what, everybody? Passing away and dying. 
but the kingdom is ripening for its arrival. That's the benefit. If you love those that love you, what benefit is that to you? Christ means that this scenario is easy. The scenario of loving those that love you is easy. It's mutually satisfying. Mutually satisfying. There is no hardship. There's no real sacrifice or hardship in loving someone that loves you. There is no challenge to your character in loving someone that doesn't hate you, curse you, or abuse you. It's very interesting. Loving them comes naturally because what? They love you. I mean, yes, there is benefit in that in this world and the, and the next, obviously, we know we're supposed to do that, family members, for instance, but the benefit is nothing compared, nothing compared to the reward Christ will give you for loving those that persecute you because of Christ. That is so hard to digest. And just every time you hear that, just imagine Dolph Ludgren coming towards you in that ring and your Rocky Balboa and love your enemies is coming at you with gloves on ready to pound you into the, into the mat. Because that's exactly what, what, what this seems like. Now who are the sinners? Christ says in verse 32, for even sinners love those who love them. So let's identify the sinners. The sinners are unrepentant people outside the covenant of God, non-Christians, but here's the part that catches you off guard. <clears throat> These are morally virtuous people for the most part, morally virtuous. People that go to work every day, people that pay their bills, people that, that, you, that you see around, people like that. They're, they're, multi, they're, they're morally virtuous. Christ's point in mentioning sinners is that even people outside the covenant of God know it's right to love those that love them. Would you agree with that? I would agree with that. It makes for a comfortable and happy life and profitable business to love those that love you. That's not Christ's point though. His point is to love your enemies and pray for those that don't love you. And that is the distinguishing characteristic. Their lives, these sinners' lives are marked. Get this, this is very good now. This, and this is gonna hit all of us between the eyes, okay? That's why I keep talking about Dolph Ludwin coming at you in the ring, okay? Their lives are marked by the calculations of a balanced reciprocity a circle of exchange that turns gifts into debts that must be repaid. That's the worldly economy that in which we live. So sacrificial love, however, that the Christian is given through the indwelling Holy Spirit, sacrificial love doesn't require reciprocation. Amen? Doesn't require it. It is given sacrificially given, expecting nothing in return, especially our enemies, especially our enemies. All right, let's look at verse 33. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. So not only sacrificial love, but sacrificial service. Sacrificial service doesn't require reciprocation. 
Again, this is a follow-up to the verse we just mentioned, but I say to you here, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. I mean, does it not come natural to us to repay acts of kindness with kindness? Right? It does. But to the Christian, it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be reciprocated. We give because we sacrificially love. Right? Don't give. This is going to hurt. You ready? You ready? Don't give and become bitter when you don't get a thank you note. Amen? Don't. They appreciate the gift very much. Okay? I am horrible at writing thank you notes to people. I'll come to your house, I'll bake you a cake before I write you a thank you note, amen? <laughs> I, 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 will, I will give you money before I will write you a thank you note. Number one, you couldn't read it if I wrote it. So then I'll email, but it's not the same as a personalized mailed card with a stamp on it, I get that. So don't expect reciprocation Christian you serve out of love expecting to get nothing in return even your enemies it was great to hear that testimony Clayton gave us about the family that came here was given all this candy here it's wonderful showering them with love wonderful sacrificial service doesn't require reciprocation it is tremendously difficult to repay acts of kindness to those that try to harm you in some way or forcibly take from you. So think about that. I mean, think about that. Just take a quiet moment in your mind and think about that. God wants you to do good to those who hate you, curse you, and abuse you. I don't know about you, but every time I read that, this carnal thought comes across my mind. And it's okay to share with you this carnal thought. So Angie, relax. It's, it's God, have you lost your mind? Is this really in the text? Do you really mean? And he says, yes, I am trying. No, I have lo not lost my mind. I'm trying to give you my mind but we resist his mind because we want what we want and we've been raised up to fight instead of sacrificially love and serve. Imagine, can you tell I was just writing this, I was just, 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 just I mean, I'm telling you, Dolph Lundgren coming at me, Dolph Lundgren. Imagine providing sacrificial service to someone that hates you, okay? Now get this, you know they hate you, okay? You know they hate you. This is not, I don't know that they hate me, so I'm gonna serve them or give to them, okay? You know that they hate you. And so imagine giving to them, serving them. I mean, there's no guesswork here, you know it. Imagine providing sacrificial service to someone who curses you. Now, now, curse takes it to a different level. Curse means they're actually praying to whatever God they pray to that something bad happens to you. You realize that, right? 
Imagine providing sacrificial service to that person that's cursing you and imagine providing sacrificial service to someone who, this is the big one. This is hot in our culture right now. Hot in our culture right now. Imagine providing sacrificial service to someone who what? Abuses you. Yeah, that's a heart stopper, isn't it? That's a heart stopper. And I'm going to ask you this question. I'm not going to answer it. I just want you to think about it like I did. What does this say to a culture that is now reaching back into people's pasts 20, 30, and 40 years seeking vengeance on people for their wrongs? Think about that. I think for believers to do so, it is clearly outside the will of God based on this passage alone. Sacrificial love doesn't require reciprocation. Sacrificial service doesn't require reciprocation. Number seven, or excuse me, verse 74. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. So sacrificial giving doesn't require what? Reciprocation. Don't give thinking that what's going to happen, that you're going to get, right? Don't give thinking you're going to get. Give, why? Because who gave for you? Jesus, yeah. Give because he gave. So Jesus even applies this directly to interpersonal financial business. I mean, this is a wrecking ball nation with capitalism someone you owe me money so you have to do what I say right now it goes if you can't pay me then what do we do then if you can't pay me what are you supposed to do give me something else do something else for me are you in a position of power or influence can you maybe get me out of a speeding ticket praise God right You owe me money, help me out. No, the Christian says you give with what? No reciprocation in mind whatsoever, even to your enemies. No reciprocation in mind. No strings attached. That's a good way to say it for our culture, right? No strings attached. I'm giving you this money. I'm helping you out with this money with no strings attached. What does no strings attached mean? It means you don't ever have to pay it back. It's just given to you forever, you don't have to pay back. No strings attached. Sacrificial giving doesn't require reciprocation. It sounds, all this sounds a little like politics, doesn't it? Loans and wrangling back and forth. What you can do for me, pay me. You know, you owe me money, so do what I say. If you can't pay me, then what else can you do for me? Are you in a position of power, influence? I mean, the Roman Empire, which is during the time this was written by Luke, the Roman Empire was an intrusive, suffocating web of obligation with resources deployed so as to maintain social equilibrium with the elite in every village, town, city, and region and of the empire as a whole given esteem due to them in light of their role as benefactors. So if God and not the emperor is identified as the great benefactor or the patron and if people are to act without regard to cycles of obligation, what happens to politics? It goes away. 
that's the radical nature of what Jesus is bringing to us and what Jesus brought to us. And that's why it's difficult for us to sell all the way out for Jesus Christ because the economic system in which we live and the way Jesus teaches is is very incompatible in many ways. Very incompatible in many ways. Christ's point is that when you lend money, do it with eternity in mind, you will be rewarded by God in heaven for your sacrificial giving. So Jesus is teaching the cessation of obligation, insisting that behaviors are not predetermined by what one owes to whom, nor by what one expects to receive from another. Oh yeah, I know, Dolph Ludgren, just think of Dolph Ludgren in the boxing ring and you're Rocky. That's just, it'll help you, it'll help help me. Finally, be like God and be merciful in all you do. So sacrificial love, sacrificial giving, sacrificial service, requiring nothing in, re- in, in return, even from enemies is what Christ says. Even from enemies. Then he, says, then he says, but love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return and your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful so to sum it up that's basically a summary statement basically he's saying if you want to be like god exemplify him how mercy merciful and mercy is the opposite of the v word what's the v word vengeance yeah brothers and sisters there's a time that's coming I I promise you, there's a time that's coming that those that are wicked, unless they come to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ, there's a time that's coming they're gonna get what's coming to them. Do you believe that? And you're gonna get what's coming to you. I believe it with all my heart. That's That's one of the reasons why I'm so committed to gospel preaching and I'm so committed to the church. No matter how hard I'm persecuted, no matter how hard I'm picked on, no matter what happens, we stay the course. We've been real close to to not staying the course a couple times, but God has kept us in. It is because I believe this with all my heart that one day it shall all be set right. One day. Be like God, be merciful. I'm gonna close I'm going to close with this, with this uh, story. Because here's the question, the question that you have, right? It's like when, you, when, you, when you're told about the fight with, with the Russian, right, with Dolph Lundgren, the, what's the first thing you ask? Is it possible for me to beat this guy? Can I beat him? So the question we ask here, this, this, seems, this seems surreal, Can Jesus be serious? Is it possible for this to be done? Is it possible for me to live this way? Is it possible for me to really love my enemies and pray for those that persecute me, those that abuse me, those that take from me? Is this really possible for me to do? How many of you have children in this sanctuary today? Okay. How many of you have children under 10? How many of you have teenagers? <clears throat> I have four at my house, so you can pray for me, amen? <clears throat> and I will never forget this as long as I live, what I'm about to tell you about. But there was a time when a 
terrible tragedy happened in Pennsylvania. Does anybody remember what happened in Nickel Mines in Pennsylvania on October the 2nd, 2006? The Amish children, anybody remember that? Okay. We were living in Indianola, Mississippi at the time and I was glued to the television, glued to the television when I saw the news report. Now, Logan and Mary were both born, they were little bitty and this news report came over and I, and I heard what happened. And, 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 I, and I just, I, I can't explain to you, I remember that day like it was yesterday because my body just, the, the, the anger that welled up in me, the, the vengeance that swelled in my heart, it was just unbelievable. But this is what happened. Charles Carl, Carl Roberts IV went into an Amish one-room schoolhouse, took several hostages, and eventually shot and killed five young girls. Naomi Rose Ebersol, seven years old. Marion Stoltzfus Fisher, 13 years old. Anna Mae Stoltzfus Sisters, 12-year-old. Lena Zook Miller, 8-year-old. Mary Liz Miller, 7 years old. Roberts then turned the gun on himself and police immediately breached the building and the event was over. Charles Roberts would definitely be considered an enemy. Would you amen that? You would think that this man's family would experience the wrath of his actions by the families of these young girls, right? Not the way it happened at all. A Roberts family spokesperson, that's the family of the man that shot and killed these little girls. A Roberts family spokesperson said, an Amish neighbor comforted the Roberts family hours after the shooting and extended forgiveness to them. Amish community members visited and comforted Robert's widow, parents, and parents-in-law. One Amish man held Robert's sobbing father in his arms reportedly as long for an hour to comfort him. The Amish also set up, get this, a charitable fund for the family of the shooter. Not the girls that were killed, the family of the shooter. About 30 members of the Amish community attended Robert's funeral. Are y'all getting this? And Marie Roberts, the widow of the killer, was one of the few outsiders invited to the funeral of one of the victims. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. 
Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with, say it with me, it's possible. You saw it in Pennsylvania in 2006. Let's pray. Lord, we consider our Savior today. And I must confess the miserable failure that I have been in living out these commandments that we have looked at the past two weeks. There has been some form of, some form of mental assent to it, Father, but I know that I've had wrath in my heart toward my enemies. I know I have. And I thank you. I thank you for forcing me, forcing me to deal with these passages to take my heart and soften it and help me. And Lord, I know I'm not the only one because it is so easy for us to want to fight and to want to slash and burn. But Lord, help us burn in another way. Help us slash and burn in another way. Help us do it through kindness. Help Help us do it through love and through prayer. Help us be like our Savior, Jesus. Let us see this radical change, this radical attitude in our lives. We ask all this in Jesus' name, amen.